0: We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ.
1: We are wrapping up today our our study on faith that works, the study of the book of James. That's really been our idea through the first part of the year here so far is the idea of faith. Last year... Last year, we talked about Jesus. We just looked at different aspects of Jesus as our Savior, uh, as, as our friend, as uh, just so many different aspects of him in our life and in our walk. And then this year, we've talked about what do we do once we have that relationship with Jesus? How does that affect our life? And the biggest way it affects our life is the life of faith that we live. And we've talked through the book of James about a faith that works, a faith that uh, works from God to us, but also more importantly, a faith that we show action in. Faith is not supposed to be something that just sits still. Faith is not supposed to be something that is inactive. Faith is supposed to be an action. It's supposed to be this idea that I know there is a God, I believe there is a God, I trust there is a God, and I am going to react to that and live my life in a way that shows everyone around me that I believe, trust, and have this relationship with God. If your faith uh, does not extend any further than this room right here, you do not have an active faith. You have a church-building faith. And and, and that may be a great starting point, but it can't stay there. And we're going to wrap up some thoughts from the book of James today that drive that point home even further. James chapter 5, we'll get to verse 7 here in just a few moments. I found this picture this week and I think it sums up kind of the idea of, of what we're going to talk about very well. One of the hardest things to do in life, last week we talked about maybe one of the hardest and most difficult places to be as a Christian is when we're in a place where all we have to to do and all we can do is trust in God. That's a scary place for us because we want to be able to work out our problems in our own abilities, and our own uh, strength. And when we get to that rock bottom place, sometimes God allows us to get there. Sometimes God allows us to get to rock bottom Because we've been trying so hard to do it on our own. And he says the only way you're going to learn, the only way you're going to overcome, the only way you're going to grow is when you face trials and circumstances and challenge. And he says consider those moments pure joy from James chapter 1 because you know that those develop you in positive ways. But sometimes we have to get to that moment and all we can do is depend on God. And that's hard for us. But I think equally as hard for us just in life is just the idea of sitting still and being patient, sitting still, and being patient. One of the things that has, I think, changed society more than anything in this way was fast food. McDonald's changed the world, changed the world. Um, How many of you have seen the movie The Founder? How many of you? It's, It's a really interesting movie about the guy. He did not create McDonald's. He found mcdonald's mcdonald's was this little family-owned business over in california that he was this this guy was selling uh, milkshake um mixers to and he walks up and, and i love the scene he walks up and he and he orders his hamburger and he orders his fries and he orders his drink and he turns around to get his money and when he turns back around the food is right there and they're like he's like okay now what do i do with it they go eat it and they're like with what He's like, well, everything you need is in the bag. You know, what do I do with all the stuff? And Just throw it away. Like, that was the whole premise. It was easy, quick, and good, all right? And McDonald's still tries to kind of hold to that idea of easy, quick, and good. Some of us may argue that it's not easy. Some may argue it's not quick. Some may even argue it's not good, all right? But that's not for today, all right? But easy, quick, and good. That was their whole idea. And then all of our world then became about what? Easy, quick, and good, especially easy and quick. How do you respond when you go to a restaurant now, though? Even, even a sit-down restaurant, a good sit-down restaurant, I believe we all have a time limit that we're willing to wait before we get frustrated, right? We all have a time limit that we're that, that we, like, okay, I'm here, but it still needs to be quick. I know that we ordered an appetizer that's got 50,000 things on it, and they have to cook every one of them, and we ordered 15 steaks, three hamburgers, four milkshakes, and a bloomin' onion. But it better all be here in three minutes. How many of you have a hard time sitting still and being patient? The rest of you are lying. That's something that for a lot of us we just don't grow out of. We don't grow out of sitting still and being patient as something that just becomes a virtue for us. And many times... When we have to sit still and we have to be patient and we have to wait on God, this tends to be the inward personality that we have. Waiting for the Lord requires more than just sitting still. It requires active patience. Active patience. This active patience. And we're going to talk more about this, but our text today begins with the idea of being patient as we wait on the Lord. And sometimes I think that when we hear the idea of being patient or be still and know that I am God, we have this idea that maybe this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're just supposed to sit and wait. And I think that that maybe was a challenge that Christians in the first century were facing and trying to overcome because they're just waiting on God. I think they really thought that maybe Jesus was coming back. I knew they thought that, but I think they thought that he was coming back sooner rather than later. And, and, and even for us, I think that maybe now our mindset is that God's going to come back later rather than sooner because it's been a while, you know, since these words were written. But active patience. But look look at this. This is the first idea of active patience that I love that I want you to see for a minute. But those who hope or and the Lord will renew their strength, okay? They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But this idea is if we trust God, if we hope in God, if we're willing to be patient with God and do it in an active way, that active patience is going to help us soar, run, and walk as we what? Wait on our God, as we wait on our Savior to come back. Let's look at the very first kind of part of the text that we're going to read together this morning. He starts in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for um, for the autumn and spring rains you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another's brothers and sisters or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Here's the good news that I want us to think about this morning as we think about being patient. The good news is that God is on his way or you may even say Jesus is on his way. Three times in this little text, three times in this short just couple of verses, it tells us that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus is coming back. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you wake up every day and look at life in that view? How many of you wake up every day and go, hey, Jesus is coming back? And you allow that to construct the way you live, to to, to, to be the focal point or maybe the um. The lens in which you look at your day. How many of you wake up every morning and go, Jesus is coming back. I'm I'm ready. Why? Why not, I guess is the question. Why do we not feel that way? Why do we not wake up every day and think the good news is Jesus is on his way? Let me ask you this. How many of you, just be honest for just a moment. How many of you think about the return of Jesus And there's a little bit of you that that kind of startles you and maybe scares you a little bit. Okay. And I think that partially comes from the unknown, right? From the unknown. We we, we just don't like things that we really don't understand. That we really don't understand. We're uncomfortable with ideas in Scripture that we really can't just wrap our mind around. And the return of Jesus, I think, is maybe one of those things. That we think, man, I, I can't wait. I know it's going to happen one day, and I'm glad it's going to. But if he comes back right now, that scares me a little bit, because I'm just not sure about what's going to happen. It just makes me maybe a little anxious. But I want you to remember what we're waiting on. I want you to remember what we're waiting waiting on. Second Peter chapter three, verses eight through thirteen. Peter gives us a reminder of what we're waiting on. And it's, and it's awesome, y'all. It's wonderful. Yeah, there's some things in it that it's hard to wrap our mind around a little bit. But the end result is what's so wonderful. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Now, how many of you read that, and that's kind of hard for you to wrap your mind around, the timing of God? Okay, I think it is, but I also don't think it is. Because how many of you feel younger than you really are, how many of you in your mind, no matter how old you're how many of you in your mind feel like I should be younger than this right i should my great grandmother my my great grandmother was always old to me right i mean she was she got older as the longer I knew her, right, but she was always that old to me, and I remember she would tell me, I know i'm 87 or 88, she was into her 90s when she passed away, she said, but I feel like I'm still 16 years old in my mind. How many of you have this idea that things that happened, how many of you, I'll use this because it's easy for me to, to, to do this math. How many of you feel like 1983 was not that long ago? Really, how many think 1983, that wasn't that long ago, right? What, what, some think, okay, 40 years ago. 1983 was 40 years ago, all right? Does 40 years seem like a long time? To some degree, right? But to some of you, it just seems like yesterday, right? That's my whole life, so it doesn't seem like yesterday. It seems like my whole life. To the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. I think we understand that a little bit because for some of us, things that happened 40 years ago still feel like it was yesterday. But then some moments last forever, right? Like you're in the moment and you're like, this moment's never going to end, like you feel when I preach half the time, right? Just never going to stop. He's just going to keep going and go. My daughter feels that way all the time. Like when it's, when it's, like, time I get 30 minutes, and then, and then I know my time's up. And I'm halfway there, and I'm not even halfway through my first point. So we may be here a while or finish it tonight. I don't know. But understand, as we're waiting on God, we're waiting in a different way. That's the whole point. We're waiting in a different way. So he goes on. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Understand that him coming back to us to take us with him is a promise How many of you dread good promises? How many of you dread good promises? Nobody dreads a good promise, right? So there's nothing to dread. So he's not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now that's the part that we get nervous about, right? That's the part that we're like, I just can't fathom this. My mind can't wrap around it. But look at this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. What are we supposed to look forward to every day? The day of the what? The Lord. The day he comes. We're supposed to think about this every day. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking what? Say that next word. We are looking. Say it again. We are looking. We're excited about it. We're wanting it to come. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where what? Righteousness dwells. What are we looking forward? Why are we looking forward to the return of Jesus? Even though there's going to be some things that we can't wrap our mind around, we're looking forward to it because He's going to take us where? Home. He's going to take us home. We have a group that's back with us this morning who's been on a seven day cruise. Did y'all enjoy the cruise? You enjoyed the cruise? but to the 40 and older bunch of your bunch, how wonderful was it to sleep in your bed last night? How wonderful was it to get home? That's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to his coming and being patient in that because he's coming back and we're going to be at home with him. But here's the thing. Our patience is a show of faith, but our grumbling is a show of of distrust. That's how he ends this particular paragraph. He says, be patient in this, be looking forward to this, but in your patience, show faith, but don't grumble with each other. When we start fussing and fighting with each other, and we want my idea to be the important idea, not God's idea, or, or, you know, when we grumble with each other, what we're saying is, God, I do not trust you. I do not trust you. I do not trust your process. I'm not being patient. Patient people don't grumble. When you go to a restaurant and it takes them too long, the impatient people start complaining first. The patient people just sit there. Don't grumble. It's a show of distrust. So, the first idea here is the good news is is that Jesus is coming. He's on his way. All right, let's look at, look in your Bibles. Let's look at uh, verses 10 through 12 together, all right? Brothers and sisters, or brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen the Lord finally, what the Lord finally brought about. Here's what I want you to underline here, maybe. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear by the heavens or by the earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Here's what I want you to see here from this particular text. is the good news gets better, he will come with mercy and compassion. He will come with mercy and compassion. Not only is he coming back, he's coming back with a full heart to get us. So the good news is that he's coming back with compassion. I want you to think about that for a moment. What does the idea of him coming back with compassion mean? It means that he's coming back and he feels my pain, my challenges, my sorrows. He understands my crisis. As you live life and face challenges and pain, understand that in the moments that those times bring you to tear tears, Jesus cries with you. If you've lived a life where you've lost spiritually a child who's walked away from their faith, understand that Jesus feels that pain with you because that child is a child of his as well. When you watch people who are sick that you love, remember that God sits there with you and cries with you. When you have challenges in relationships, understand that God is sitting there and cries with you. One of the things that the Hebrew writer talks about that, that, that is just so powerful, he says that you need to understand that you approach a God when you come to him who understands everything that you've been through. He understands everything that you've been through. And not just that he understands it. He loves you through it with compassion. So if you ever sit in a moment and you go, I'm all alone, understand that we're never alone. Understand that our God, our Savior, our Father, our friend is always right there with us. And we can trust him through that. All right, let's keep going. Let's look at our next kind of section here. James 5, 13 through 20, one of my favorites of this particular passage and maybe one of the most misunderstood and one of the most challenging for some is anyone among you in trouble let them pray is anyone happy let them sing songs of praises is anyone among you sick let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the Lord will raise them up if they have sinned they will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to each other and Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Here's the last thing that I want us to talk about, and we've got a few minutes to do it here. How do I wait? I learned the discipline of active waiting or active patience. In this particular passage, he tells us, in this particular section of the text, he gives us four things that we do as Christians as we wait. We're not supposed to sit here and twiddle our thumbs. Going to church is not what we're, is not the only thing that we're supposed to do, although for a lot of Christians, that's the biggest thing that they do in their faith. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be the biggest thing that you do in your faith. It's supposed to be part of it, but not the only thing, not the biggest thing. There's other things that we're called to do. And this is the four things in this particular text that he tells us. He says, first, we're supposed to what? Pray. How how does he say it? He says, if any of you are in trouble, he should pray. If any of you are sick, he should call on the elders of the church to what? Pray. Prayer is such an important part of our faith. Such an important part of our faith. But Here's something I've thought about this week. What's the biggest reason we don't pray? I think if I were to, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, because I think we would all answer this, maybe in this direction, but how many of you, your prayer life could and should be better than it is right now? That's one of those things that I think, even if you are like, At the pinnacle of your prayer life, I think you feel like, I can always do better. I can always be better in this particular discipline. But I think there's maybe a lot of reasons that we don't pray the way that we should. But this is what I've thought about this week, that maybe the reason we don't pray is we think we can do it better. Sometimes we think we can do it better. It goes back to what we talked about last week. We hate being in a situation where all I have to depend on is God because it reminds me that my way doesn't work. It reminds me that my strength is not enough. It reminds me that my abilities are not enough. It's only through God that I can ultimately overcome, that I can ultimately find salvation. God is the answer, and that challenges us sometimes. Because of this, we think we can do it better. We think we can do it better. And that's a scary place to be in a lot of ways. One of the things, though, that I think it leads us to, especially in in church work, in ministry, is this phrase. We can't. We can't. It's one of the most aggravating phrases that I ever hear we can't do that. We've tried it before. It didn't work. We're not big enough to do that. We don't have enough money to do that. We we can't do that because of this. We've never done it this way before. We, We can't, we can't, we can't. And when a church has this attitude of we can't, then guess what they will never do? Accomplish anything. If you say you can't, then guess what? You won't. If you accept defeat before you ever get started, you will only be defeated. But you see, I think that's where Satan wants us to be. I think Satan wants us to be a church that prays less instead of more. Because number one, it leads us ultimately to a place where we think we can't do it. We we can't grow, we can't get any bigger, we can't do this, we can't do that. And as long as he keeps us away from talking to God about it, we're never going to, all right? The second idea there is that if we do find success without prayer, where do we tend to think that success came from? From ourselves. Look what we did. Look what we accomplished. Look what, look what all the work that we did, look, look at what it made. When we go into a moment and we don't just drown that moment in prayer, then we're setting ourselves up from failure to start with. Because it's taking the focus off of God from the very beginning and putting it on ourselves. And if we succeed, it becomes about us. And if we fail, then guess what? We can't. Maybe we could have if we started with what? Prayer. We started with prayer. You know, I've I've shared this before, and it's really one of the most disturbing kind of numbers that I've heard in research with churches is that of the four hours that normal churches open up their doors and meet, only seven minutes of it is spent praying together. Seven minutes of it. And what's even sadder about that is when someone gets up that prays too long, we get impatient, don't we? We get impatient. What does that say about us when we don't pray enough as a church, but then when someone prays too long? It says that our focus isn't where it needs to be. It says that we think we can do it better. So we need to be people who pray. We need to be people who pray because. When this prayer is prayed, God what? God acts. I think that's one of the challenging things of this whole section is there's, there's this idea of, of when you're sick, calling the elders and having them anoint you with oil and praying over you. And I know that for some people that feels real radical. That feels very challenging to some people's faith and 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 then the other side of it is it may not even seem it may not even seem you may be so deep into your own prayer life that that just feels normal. But what I think this whole passage is telling us is when we pray, like the Bible tells us to pray in every moment, what does God do? God acts. It's not about us. The anointing with oil and praying over a sick person is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the elders. It's about our faith in who. Come on now, that's the an easy answer. It's about our faith in God. Do you have a faith that works that way? That you put that much faith in God that if he says, do it this way and bring me into the middle of it, and I will show up and I will act in a way that you are not expecting? Let's make sure we pray the way God wants us to pray. Here's the next thing. We've got three more things, and then we're gonna get we're going to wrap it up. This one will take maybe the longest. The next thing he says that we need to do is sing. We need to sing. Let me ask you a question: How many of you like to sing? I'm not talking about necessarily in here, because some of you that raise your hand that say you like to sing when you're in here, you don't sing real loud. Because I know a lot of people may like to sing, but they don't like to be what? Heard. Don't like to be heard. You know, one of the best kind of uh, moments in uh, church singing is when people turn off lights and sing. Why? Why does turning off the lights make our singing better? Because there's a part of you that forgets that if they can't see me, then they can't what? Hear me. You know, our kids think that. If they can't see me, they can't hear me. Um, When you can't hear them, that's when you need to go find them, by the way. Parenting tip 101. When you can't hear them, go look for them. They're going to be under the table painting the hardwood floor with purple paint. London did that about two months ago. Singing. He says, are you happy? Then what? Sing songs of praise. I want you to look at these passages from Psalms, three verses from Psalms, three verses, and in it seven times we're told to sing. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. What do you think David's trying to get us to understand we need to do in our life? Do what? Sing. Sing. Why? Why sing? Why do we need to be people that express our joy and our worship and our praise and our thankfulness to God? Because melody comes along words, and number one, it heightens their emotional meaning. It heightens their emotional meaning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's a a great passage, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But when we put melody to that, holy, 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 it touches us different, doesn't it? It touches us different. When we put melody to words, it heightens our emotional meaning. It helps us reflect on the words of God. Amazing grace. What's the rest of it? How sweet the sound. Why do we remember that? Because of the melody that is attached to the words. It helps us hold on to the promises of God. It helps us hold on to the promises of God. Colossians 3 verse 16 says that when we sing, it shows that God dwells in our hearts. So active waiting involves singing to God. And Wiley, that's easy for people like you and me to understand, right? Because I love to sing, and I don't care if you hear me. I don't care if you hear me sing. I'm not just a car performer, you know? Like some of you. Some of you have done great, on, en- you know, encore performances to great concerts in your car by yourself. And then when you stop at a red light, you quit singing because people can what? See you, all right? But What if we brought that same enthusiasm of those great, in car concerts, into this moment, and not just this moment, into our everyday relationship with God. Because as we wait patiently, we're told to sing. Let's take two more things, and then we'll wrap up very quick, quickly. The third thing he says here is to confess. We confess our sins to one another. Very quickly, just remember these thoughts. When we keep our sins a secret, we become their slaves. When we keep our sins a secret, we become their slaves. But when we confess them in a Christ-like way, we become their master. Confession speaks truth, and truth will set us free. We confess to one another. And then the last thing. So I think it's easy to maybe look at these first three things and go, oh, that's talking about worship when we're together in a building. I don't buy that. I have heard people say that. I've seen people say that about this because they want to make our faith about this room. I think these things can, will, and should happen in this room when we're together. But it should happen just as much when you walk out of the door. But the next thing is definitely a walk out of the door thing. He says you rescue people you rescue people. He said, you look for people that have turned their back and walked away from God and you make every effort to what? Grab them and bring them back. How many of you look around this room and I know for our guests you might not, but how many of you look around this room and you see empty pews but you recognize whose faces should be there? You recognize whose faces should be there. My challenging question is what effort have you made to help bring those people back? To put people back in those pews? Listen, I'm going to tell you what. One of the things that blew my mind more than anything when I started here was as I was talking to people in the community and sharing that I was the new minister at Ninth Avenue, how many people said, yeah, I used to go to church there? I used to go to church there. Of course, you know what my first question is, why don't you anymore? And the second question is, what can we do to get you back? So many people in this town used to go to church here. What are we doing to bring them back into a relationship where they want to again? What are we doing to rescue souls and people in our community? If we just make it about me being in this room, we never make it to number four. And if we never make it to number four, we're not truly, patiently waiting in an active way for God. We're just doing this. And this is not what we're called to do. We're called to live an active faith that works and actively waits on the return of God in a powerful way. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the chance to be in your presence this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to study this great book over the last few weeks, this letter of faith and action, God. I pray that you help us just live this life every day. Live a life that we wake up every day and we think about the wonderful beauty of the cross and the salvation that comes from it and the fact that we can patiently and hopefully and actively wait for your return, and we can look forward to that moment and the opportunity to be at home with you. We thank you so much for the chance to be in this room, but help us to not just stay in this room. Help us to be the church that leaves and disciples and evangelizes and rescues our community, God. Help that to be what we're known for. It's in your son's name we pray.
0: Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus.